I remembered how to work the mic, Sean. This is great. It's great. Happy Sunday, everybody. Got really quiet after that. I know. Well, we all knew Chris was crying, so we needed to be a little quiet. We need to give him his little moment. No, we love Chris. And, and uh, just so you know, too, I've, I've told Chris this, too, and I think that's great that he's so humble and so in touch with his emotions. Like, uh, I know sometimes maybe he's poked at himself or other people have poked at him to some degree, but in the duties that we see Christ fulfilling, as elders, we kind of match to some degree. You see prophets, one who boldly exclaims the word of God without fear of consequences. You see the priest who cares and loves for the people. And you see the king who helps to rule and to shepherd over God's flock. And I think Chris is an excellent priest, or he has high priest qualities in such. So... And, and I guess since we're talking about greatness too, like I really appreciate Kim talking and uh, speaking up about the songs that she chooses. This isn't an easy job, like, I, like calling is what I should call it. It's not an easy calling, like it's a, it's a big deal. And to make sure that we're God glorifying, we're not man honoring all the time, to choose songs that seemingly reflect because Kim's not in my head but she gets notes from me and then tries to get in my head and and it's a scary place to be let's be real as God is working but here's the key and here's the answer to your question Kim it's the Holy Spirit and it's always about the Holy Spirit and that's the reason that we ultimately know and so Kim and I are on the same page because we're both in Christ very plain and very simply, we're both in Christ and it's our heart's desires as one who's been changed by Jesus to honor our Heavenly Father to the best of our abilities, whatever that looks like. Even if we got to start a song over, so be it. Nobody cares. Nobody cares in the end because this isn't a performance. If this was a performance, you should worry because why are they making this a performance? This is the reality of the truth of our lives. Jesus is real. And so we're embarking on a new adventure today. Like I said, a 15-week adventure in Ephesians. I am not doubling verses or anything like that. We're taking it section by section and verse by verse, as is the right way to preach and to teach God's Word. I don't need to make up stories. What needs to happen is you need to realize the truth. And so I want to start this off very simply, very easily this week in Ephesians. I want to tell you that this is what they affectionately call the Switzerland of the gospel. It's the highest peak, if you will. It's the Matterhorn. It covers a lot. And as I've labeled this series, The Gospel of Change and Choice, it's important that we start there. And it's important that you understand what God has done. And very much so, the book of Ephesians, if you look at it, the first three chapters all deal with the amazing, amazing change that God has done in your life to save you, to make you His own. The next three chapters, 4, 5, and 6, 
all revolve around something I'm going to elaborate on and don't think it's as narrow and shallow as it is, but it involves our choices. Every day we make hundreds and hundreds of choices. Are they self-centered? Are they God-glorifying? What's the reason for marriage? What's the reason for family? What's the reason? All of these are handled and discussed later on in Ephesians. And so it begs the question, when making our choices, why do we make the choices that we do? But I want to start this off and just not talk about me, but talk about the amazingness that the Lord has done. My name is Eric Gross, and I am a sinner saved by grace. This is not something that I did. It's not something I ultimately chose in the end. It's something that was presented to me and that I received. As you will hear and you will see in the book of Ephesians, this is how Paul lays it out. There is nothing that a spiritually dead person can do to save themselves. Think about this. How does something that is broken fix itself? It's impossible. Maybe you've heard the analogy, if you take a watch and throw it in the ocean in a million different pieces, is it going to come back up on shore fixed? No, of course not. Don't be naive. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is awareness of the flesh. The self-help genre is the number one genre in book sales, believe it or not, because everyone knows they need help, yet no one knows where to go for that help. And that is very much absolutely true, right, ladies? But the very much so, it's ours now that we turn to the one who created us. And so as I am that sinner saved by grace, I've made no qualms about it that Jesus changes lives. And mine especially. If you want to go down the Ten Commandments, we don't even need to talk about the 613 that were for Israel to show that they were holy. Let's go to the Ten Moral Commandments. I've certainly had other gods than God. I have worshipped relationships. I have worshipped money. I have worshipped fame. I have worshipped power. I've worshipped. Come to find out, I was created to worship. I've also used the names of the Lord's name in vain. I can't tell you how many times. One of the most radical changes is I hear it from across the room now when someone uses the Lord's name in vain. And I want to scream to them, what does he have to do with it? But I don't, because I don't think that's helpful. But I've certainly had that change in my life. I have coveted other things. Let's not forget we live in the United States of America, the land of abundance. We are all spoiled, rotten children. And as such, we covet. We covet everything. Everything that I mentioned that I've worshipped too, I've coveted. And when I covet things, I look after them. I have not honored my mother and father. I have thought of women improperly. I have stolen. When I was a little kid, if you remember, like garbage pail kid cards, I used to steal those. Uh, baseball cards, there were these little muscle figures, stole little video games, uh, a whole bunch of different things. I don't think that there's anything that God says not to do that I haven't done myself. 
and I know I'm not alone in this, so that's why I can resound very safely with Romans chapter 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I didn't know any better. But until God changed me, now I know better. Now I have choices. And not just selfish choices that are self-serving. They are God-honoring choices. And that's what this entire book is about. That massive change that God does in our lives. And then the consequential choices, good or bad, right or wrong, here's where you're at. You're going to learn. And I believe that regardless of which path you may take, the end result is going to be the end result of being with Christ, which is why our Lord can say, the sheep hear my voice and know my name, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. And amen to that, because I've made some dumb choices since coming to Christ too. But as you see as well, there's been a lot of choices, and especially as a church that, man, we're glorifying God in the community of Genoa. Praise the Lord. Like, that's not something I ever imagined. It's not something I ever thought. Much like being up here and publicly talking about Jesus in a sense every single week, that's not something I wrote on my to-do list of life. But yet here I am, and I roll with the punches, and I've embraced all the changes that God has brought. And it's amazing, and, and you know, I wish some of the people were here because the, like, second, the second people resolve that, I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have grandchildren. I'm never going to have children. I'm never going to, I'm never going to, that it's that moment of humility and brokenness. And it's going to be okay if this doesn't happen, that God moves and there they are. And I think about many of us in regards to that. And so praise the Lord. So without further ado, because again, this is kind of uh, the introduction, praise God. So, dear Heavenly Father, as always, I thank you for all the blessings in our lives, even those that we fail to see, but especially those that we fail to see. And so, Lord Jesus, we do get to see a life that is changed within you. As we meet here each and every week, we, as your church, your body of believers, your people for your own possession, these are people whose lives have been changed by your grace and mercy. And ultimately, it's because of your love. For it's not something that we've done. It's not something that we've earned. It's not something that we've resolved that we're going to do and we'll climb the spiritual ladder, but it's a free gift of you, Lord Jesus, and from you, Lord Jesus. And so, as such, when we approach your word, we fully expect that through the power of your Holy Spirit that these words will make an impact, that they will make a difference in our lives. Your word is truth. And Jesus, we know that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And so, Lord Jesus, use me well, as with every Sunday, and certainly may this sermon and may our time together be for your glory and our good as your people. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, I think a great example, too, is what we started off in the announcements. I wrote it very much specifically so that you could see the change and the choice. Glory be to Christ. I'm, I'm shocked, to be honest. I'm, I'm enamored and I'm floored. And if I let it, I could get a big fat ego about this too.
But the fact that the city of Genoa and the Genoa Chamber of Commerce are recognizing us as a church, and be careful, no other churches are recognized in any of these things. Right, this is what's dangerous, making ourselves think that we're better than other people. We're not. The only reason that we're good is because of our great Heavenly Father and our adherence to Him, His will, and His ways. Very simply, our calling in life is to love Jesus and to love people. And I would like to think that we're doing that to the best of our abilities based on what we know about the community of Genoa. But that very last verse of that Glory Be to Christ segment on the bulletin, I wrote, All glory be to Christ for A, the lives that He changed, and then the choices that they have made to walk in Christ as His church. All fact. All true statement right there. And that's the only reason that we can even be appreciative of this. Because if I very simply am like, well, yeah, I did this, and I'm awesome, and yeah, I expected nothing less. It would be, right? Yeah, it's about time. I'm like, dang, I've been waiting here. Like, where's my plaque? Where's my award? Where's my whatever? And we haven't gotten it, and we might not get it. But what's important to me is that it has made a difference in someone's life. That our spreading of the gospel, the Great Commission, if you will, Matthew chapter 28, says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And it's within that that our command, very simply, I believe, is to go and to be and to do. The part about disciple-making, I've made no qualms about that too. Like, yes, it's very important for us to be together. This is when the Holy Spirit works within each and all of us. But it's God who causes the growth, you know? And it's within, again, that vein of thoughts that we need to give God the glory for whatever it is that our hands and feet find to do. And that's within every aspect of our lives. This entire change and this entire choice, some of us think we're entitled to it, as if we've earned something from God. The only thing we've really earned from God is death and suffering because of our sin, because of our egocentric nature, because of our desire to fulfill ourselves. And that's who we are at the core of everything. And so I wrote this for the team, but I took it from part of a commentary as well uh, to hopefully explain it and just listen as well. The gospel has always been about change and choice. Change from an old way of life without Jesus Christ to a new way of life with Jesus Christ is a staple of God's message to us in Scripture. The choices, however, regarding what we do with our new status in Jesus Christ has been an equally important part of the message. And I just want to stop there. And you've heard James, the brother of Jesus, say, faith without works is dead. And it's very much true. But understand that salvation produces works. Your works do not produce salvation. 
So the reason we do works at all is because we have seen the mighty change in our Lord and Savior Jesus. We have seen the change that He's produced in our lives individually as well as corporately as the church, the local body of believers. It is very important for one member of Christ's church to have roots in a local church. There is no benefit to going to a different place every week because you do not plant any roots in relationships. Think about the two great commandments, love Jesus, love people. Those are both relationships. If you're everywhere yet nowhere, you're useless. Not to say that God can't ultimately use you to some degree, but you have no roots of building relationship. You have no opportunity to really speak into other people's lives and to be heard, if you will. It's a choice. It's a choice. Change and choice might ultimately be called the twin pillars of the good news, which is the gospel. Do choices reflect the change adequately? And does our new status in Christ make a difference in the choices we make and how we live? I remind you of another spiritual truth in this. We used to be foreigners and aliens to God. Now we are fellow citizens of His as part of His kingdom and as part of His family. Change in choice, one really cannot exist without the other. Ephesians, as a book, is filled with prayer and praise for our great and sovereign Lord, who ultimately shows us through this prayer and praise as we worship Him, that one cannot become a new creature without acting like one. And that knowing how to act can only come if one recognizes the great change brought about in new life in Christ Jesus. How awesome it is to have baptisms announced today too with such a statement as that. To see and to honor it. And I want you to think about what said, it was said here. One cannot become a new creature without acting like one. Can I tell you to an unbeliever how awkward this is that we're all sitting in here and that you're listening to some guy talk about Jesus? Can I tell you about how awkward it is to do communion? Can I tell you how frustrating it is that the church always asks for money in the offering, so to speak? Can I tell you about how odd we all are to unbelievers, but can I tell you how normal this is to those of us that are in Jesus Christ and that this is the ex expectation and that there's a ridiculous amount of joy in meeting each and every Sunday and seeing each other? Is that not, again, part of the change and part of thinking? And so, if we've recognized that great change in our lives, these choices that we make to be part of the local fellowship, to glorify God in our words and our deeds, to love sacrificially to people who don't necessarily even love us back, to however, whatever our hands and feet find to do ultimately, to glorify God, to love Jesus and to love people. I find, and I've said 
over the past couple of weeks too that so many people are trying to reinvent the wheel, make it more exciting. No matter what you do, it's going to be awkward to those who don't know Jesus. But for those who do know Jesus, what you really need is to stop thinking that you need something different and to get back to brass roots and brass tacks for life. Because we're not reinventing any type of wheel. This wheel has been going around and around for a long, long time. Thousands of years. And the wheel is going to keep churning the same way because Jesus won't abandon His church. Those who are made to be His church will forever be His church. They might not meet in the same local congregation because... We're all sinners, and it's hard getting along sometimes. But ultimately, we do, and we survive. And make no mistake, the entirety of why Gospel Life Bible Church is here is nothing to do with Eric. He was the pawn that God used, as well as many of us. But it's because of Jesus that Gospel Life Bible Church is here. It's because of the lives that he changed, and then the choices that his people have made to be a part of Genoa and to make a difference in Genoa and to stick to the wheel of a true church, one that worships, one that's about discipleship, one that's about fellowship, and one that's about mission. Just like the early church, Acts chapter 2, we're identical to that, yet we live culturally different. So... As we're about to go into these notes and, and the change in the choice, I promise you this part's not very long, the actual sermon part. But this lays a foundation for us for the, the rest of the weeks. That for the first three chapters, we're going to be talking intimately and intensely because it's going to challenge you what God has done. You're going to be like, no, I did that. And I'll be like, no, you did not. Because God did that. And you can't take credit for it. As much as you want to, and as much as the world tells you, I did that, and you need to take credit for it, God is very much countercultural, And God gets the glory. And you must understand that one of the greatest miracles on this planet is that He saves anybody. Because He doesn't have to. It's not owed to anybody. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, by all means, glory be to God. If he comes back later this afternoon, I've got a great dinner planned. I'm hoping he waits a little later. But if he comes back this afternoon, great. Just the same. Because I know this isn't it. My hopes are not built in this world. My hopes are now built in my Lord and Savior. And so, let's talk about the will of God. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Pretty simple, pretty standard Pauline greeting, if you will. Not going to really talk about Ephesus too, too much, but I want to highlight what the will of God is by the highlight of these two points. People are like, what is God's will for my life? It's to change you 
and it's to equip you or teach you wisdom for living. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. It's to make you his own. You will become part of his kingdom. The will of God undoubtedly is to change you. Maybe we could say that as saving you from yourself. But as far as justification goes, he declares us righteous through the blood of his son. The propitiation of his wrath has been atoned for by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We no longer live in a wrathful state with our God. We are no longer at enmity with Him. And so, there's probably no greater person to talk about in regards to this than the Apostle Paul. While certainly, I undoubtedly can go around this room, and it would be a lot of fun, make no mistake, and be like, how has Jesus changed you? And all of you would have answers. Varying degrees, varying levels, varying situations. You might not want to share some of the things that he's changed from you. But understand, everyone knows that they've been changed to some degree. Yet, here we have Paul. And so, I want all of us to grasp onto these five things. Okay? There are five things. It might not completely make sense to you in this moment, and it might not have happened to you the same way, because I guarantee you not all of you have changed your name. But make no mistake that God has, and here, I'll, I'll label all five for you right off the bat. God has given you a new identity. God has given you a new calling, meaning a new meaning and purpose. Number three, God has given you the truth of life. Number four, you, don't let this go to your head, you are set apart and you are holy to God. You are in this world, but you are not of it. And then number five, we are in Christ and regardless of where you physically live, you have family everywhere in Christ. These are five radical changes God does in your life. And I'll show you in this first verse how this all lays out. The very first one, you have a new identity. Paul. Paul. Did you know his name was Saul before? And I'm not saying that Jesus changed his name. Because Paul, or Saul, had dual names. Saul was his Hebrew name. Paul was his Roman name. Now, Jesus has changed other people's lives. You know Peter, the famous apostle who denied him three times before the rooster crowed? Well, that Peter that Jesus calls the rock was initially named Simon. But Jesus changed his name from Simon to Peter. But Paul decided after he was changed in Christ and the moment that he embraced it, you can read this for yourself, Acts chapter 13, verse 9. It just very simply says, Saul, who was also called Paul, and then he rails against a magician because he's in Christ and he stands up for his Lord. He has made that identity shift and Saul who is also called Paul, 
decided that now, since he's the apostle to the Gentiles, is going to go by his Roman name and is going to stand for all things Jesus. Man, powerful. It takes a while for us, though, especially after we're first converted. I know based on my experience that it was going to be a little while. Uh, I was kind of a rabid wolf, if you will, uh, telling people that God chose me and not you, and sorry, too bad, so sad, you know. But then I got a thorn in my side, very similar to Paul, very humbling experience where I realistically should be dead, but God saw fit to keep me alive and for his will and his purpose. And I said, okay, take my life and let it be consecrated all for thee. I just hope that I can glorify Jesus to some degree with the people that I've been given the blessing to have ministry in and with. And so, there's the new identity. I didn't change my name to Eric, but there was the grasp from God, you're crazy. You've got the wrong guy to, okay, lead the way. I will follow you. New identity. The second, Paul, an apostle. An apostle. That, while I'm not going to talk about apostleship very much, understand that it is one who was sent and one who was sent by Jesus. This is why apostles don't exist anymore. Because it's one who was sent by God. Very specifically. And so, it's a new calling. Did Paul wake up one day and be like, yeah, I'm going to be an apostle. What a great job. I bet I get paid the big bucks for doing that. The same could be said for me. Did I wake up someday and be like, you know what? I should be a pastor. That's great. I love public speaking and humiliation and being humble all the time and, you know, turning one cheek over to the other. I think this is great. I love being walked all over. Like, praise the Lord, it doesn't work out like that. It hasn't worked out like that. But understand the worldly misconceptions that I had. And this wasn't something that, again, I woke up and was like, oh, this is great. But it is a new meaning and it is a new purpose from the life that I had before Christ. And very simply, brothers and sisters, while you are not an apostle, you may not be an elder, maybe you're deacon, but regardless, you're all like members. You're all members of the church. You are the church. And another thing to say, you're all ambassadors for Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. We have a lot more in common than we have a lot more that separates us when we are in Christ. And that's the important thing because a lot of people are still out for selves. It's a big difference between seeing people who are in Christ and then seeing people who are still all about themselves and want to use you or other people for their own personal gain. And so we all have a new calling. We all have a new meaning and purpose, and it is the meaning and purpose as to why you exist. Yes, I understand we all have families, and yes, families are certainly important, but understand your calling with your Creator and the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the Creator of heaven and earth in and of itself. There is no greater design for life that man has made 
that, that should take precedence over God's design for life and as how he made it. And so we see Paul. He's got a new identity. We see that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus, which is a new calling, new meaning and purpose. And he is these things because of the will of God. Not because Paul said so. Paul's will, what Paul wanted and Paul desired, but because of the will of God. The will of God ultimately gives us that knowledge of the Father. How does one ever understand the will of God without knowing God? How does someone who's spiritually dead to God know anything about God unless God reveals it to them? Even if you read a book, doesn't mean it'll stick, doesn't mean it'll make sense. The Holy Spirit that dwells within us, the promise and the seal and the guarantee of our salvation is also our greatest interpreter. It's what allows us to understand the thing of God. And do you know why we can understand the things of God? Because the Holy Spirit is God. That's how you know. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who has given a gift to Him that He may be repaid? For from Him and to Him and through Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Who has known the mind of the Lord except the Spirit of the Lord that dwells within him? It's pretty amazing the change that God gives us and reveals to us. <coughs> and one of those is the truth of God's design and purpose for life, which is why we have that new identity, which is why we have that new calling and that new meaning and purpose, because we have knowledge of the will of God the truth of God for life because we have a peace of God that dwells within us, the Holy Spirit. And I always joke, and I'm like, he's like the Rodney Dangerfield of the, the Holy Trinity. He gets like no respect. Right? You know, we always hear Father, we always hear Son, but man, the Holy Spirit's amazing. What he does, how we know, the knowledge of the truth, because it is God. And he's dwelling within us. So, there's three just in that first part. You've got new identity. You've got new calling. You've got knowledge of the truth of your life in existence. And next, we have the saints. To the saints. Now, saints has a pretty ridiculous misconception in the world. But I want to say from a biblical standpoint that a saint is holy. A saint is set apart. A saint is not righteous of their own righteousness. Like many people think. Catholicism worships saints. It's wrong to do so because saints are not the Savior. Saints are you and me and are not worthy ultimately of worship. Love you all, right? Willing to stand side by side, lock arms in the gospel, but I'm not going to praise and worship you. I apologize. Nor should you praise and worship me by any stretch of the imagination because I'm just a man. But Jesus, that's our Lord and Savior, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
He who will be, is, and has been. He is awesome. And he is who you should know. But understand this, that you are a saint and you are set apart for God's kingdom. You are set apart as an adopted son and daughter. You are set apart for good works that God may use you. This kind of deals with your choice a little bit, but ultimately it's a change because you cannot earn that on your own. God has given it to you. And so when we talk about saints, we talk about the assembly of the saints. We talk about the assembly of the upright. We talk about the body of Christ. We talk about the bride of Christ. We talk about the church of God. We talk about the church of living God. And as Christians, we are a chosen people comprised of royal priests, and we are a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, we can then show others the goodness of God, for He called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. Amen? Yes. That's you. That's you. That's your new calling. That's your meaning and purpose. That's your new identity. That's the knowledge of the truth of your life. And you should know you're set apart for that. Not because you're awesome in your own right, but because God said so. And as much as it may seem cliche to be like, well, God said so, I have no better words to tell you because no matter what I say or do, I cannot trump God said so. I cannot beat it by any stretch of the imagination. This is why... Whenever you meet a brother and sister in the Lord, despite maybe their wonkiness, if indeed they are in Christ, they are indeed holy and set apart and a saint and a people for his own possession. And by gum, regardless of how you think you're better than them because you don't sin the same way they do, know that they're special to God. And that's what you need to know. God has changed their life and maybe in the grand roller coaster of sanctification that exists from the day you're saved till the day you physically die, you're just on different paths in sanctification. You're just at different measures of faith, as it is said and it is written. All of these are spiritual truths, and all of these we'll go into further detail in the book. Because what God has done is nothing short of amazing and awe-inspiring and worthy of worship and praise. Now, the last part, to change you. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. I find this to be a very important reality of the truth because you're going to find yourselves maybe in different local congregations. Maybe you're going to move to different cities. Maybe you're going to move to different towns. I want you to know that part of the reason why this letter is like kind of called Switzerland is because it's true neutral. It's not written to specific people. It is written to those who are in Christ. 
And regardless of whether you're in Ephesus or whether or not you are in Genoa or maybe you live in Kingston or maybe you live in DeKalb or Sycamore or Davis Junction or Stillman Valley, regardless of where you live, you are in Christ. And the place where you live is nothing more than an opportunity for ministry to deal with the people in that given area. <coughs> Regardless of where we are geographically, we are in Christ and have family everywhere. God's family. Everywhere. If only we all wore signs, right, that said, I'm Jesus's. But we don't. So it does present a challenge, right? But much like what Jeremy had spoken of in a couple of weeks before, but more so what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is there are people in Christ and there's everyone else. And you can tell them by the fruit of their lives. You're not dumb. You're not dense. God has woken you up. He has removed the scales from his eyes. You ought to be able to see who is filled with hate and negativity and who ultimately shows love and peace and joy. You ought to be able to tell by the people that surround them whether they look Christ-like or whether they are very selfish individuals. I know for a fact that the power of discernment is not necessarily so strong because even if we were to look at very simply political candidates, there is one that is completely filled with hate and one that is not. And yet, a lot of brothers and sisters I know are on that person with hate. And I'm like, you're not following Christ. But I don't care because God's sovereign over all of that. But it's a learning experience. It's a teachable moment, if you will. You can tell people apart by the fruits of their lives. If people's children are oppositionally defiant at all times and filled with hate, it's not necessarily the parent's fault. It might be theirs. But what are the fruits of these individuals' lives? Do you see love? Do you see joy? Do you see peace? Do you see patience? Do you see kindness? Do you see goodness? Do you see faithfulness? Do you see gentleness? And do you see self-control? If you do, odds are they're in Christ because those are fruits of the Spirit. But if you're null and void of every single one of those, and in fact it's the antithesis of those, odds are you're dealing with someone who is not in Christ and is a full-fledged sinner who has zero self-control because it's all about them and whatever they idolize or whatever they worship. So, Philippians chapter 3, 20-21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. In Christ you have family everywhere. Jesus changes lives. Make no mistake about that. I've said it, and I'll say it again until God says you can't say it anymore because he's called me home. But massive changes in your life. You have a new identity. 
You have a new calling and a new meaning and purpose. You have knowledge of the truth of why you're here, why life exists. You have knowledge of the truth of God the Father. The main philosophical questions that you hear me bring up, who am I, why am I here, what's wrong with this world, and what's being done to fix it, are all answered in Scripture through the person and character of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are holy, we are set apart as part of this calling, and being in Christ, we are part of God's family, and that is everywhere. Those are five changes, and I bet you when you saw these notes were like, I don't know what he's going to do with this, but as God would have it, he shows and leads the way. So point two, to teach you wisdom for living, and I'm just going to piggyback on the massive change that God has done in our lives. But the question I pose to you, and I'm about to pose like six questions to you, and they're all rhetorical, so don't stand up and answer, please. You, you might embarrass yourself. So, right on. How does the knowledge of God's truth affect your everyday life choices? How does the knowledge of God's truth affect your everyday life choices? Something to think about. Does it affect your choices? I would hope you're all like, yes, it does affect my choices. Because if it doesn't, there might be a problem. Now, what is grace? What is peace? Point two, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The real question to ask yourselves in this, whose definition do I use? Whose definition of grace do I go by? Whose definition of peace do I adhere to? They're very different from an earthly and a biblical standpoint. Much like when I talk about hope, like what is hope? Hope from an earthly standpoint is nothing more than a wish. But hope from a biblical standpoint is confident expectation in the promises of Christ. Which definition of hope would you rather have? I would like to think God's. And not just because it's the better one. It's the better answer. I like that answer better. Some people do this and cherry pick the Bible as it will. You don't get to cherry pick the Bible. My advice to all my brothers and sisters, all the little lambs, all the little children of God, myself included, find out what God says about it and let that filter your decision-making processes. Because not only whose definition do I use, but where do I find grace and peace? The answer is very simple in the verse, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't have Christ, if you are not in Christ, where are we going to be? How are we going to answer that question? Here's another great question to ask yourself. How do I know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? You know them because God told you about them. God revealed. You might have heard about Jesus. You might have heard about the Trinity. But you don't really know them until you 
know them. And this, it is a hard thing to explain. How do you tell people? How do you be like, yeah, you should just do this and then everything will be better? Like, I can't. But I can tell you about the greatness of the Lord. I can tell you about what he's done in my life. And I can certainly pray for you in that moment that Jesus would reveal himself to you. That God the Father would be pleased to reveal the Son to you in this moment in time. It's about all I can do. I can't make someone believe. I can't remove the scales from their eyes. But I can love them as God loved me and that God can then use that. And that's a choice. It's also a choice to, to stand there and to tell people things that are hard, things that are humbling. And so, how do I define what is good or what is bad? I have a definition of good based on my own expectations. Doesn't mean that it matches up with God's definition of good based on what he says is good. Amen? Same works for bad. What I think is bad might not be bad. It might be used for good. For those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And I might rage and be like, why am I going through this? But hindsight then always becomes 2020 after you go through the fact and you're like, yeah, that really changed me. That really shaped me. Now I can pay it forward to other people. And I'm a little humbler. And I've grown my faith in God, thanks to God. And, 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 and. Even the bad has turned out for good in different ways. I've learned a lot through the bad. I've also learned a lot in my life about what not to do from people rather than what to do from people. Does that make it all bad? No, that's a good thing because I've changed. God has changed within me and the choices that I now make reflect that change of going through that circumstance in my life that God had me go through. Now, it's a big question. What is my meaning of life? What is my meaning of life? And a much more important question follows that, that a lot of people don't realize. But how does my answer to this question affect my life? How does my answer to the question, what is the meaning of life, affect my life? And I'll tell you as one who knows and has done it, that whatever my meaning of life was, is what I chased after. It's what I strived for. It's what I stepped over people to get. It's what I hurt people in my path to achieve. Doesn't make it right. But I tell you what, being in Christ, what is the meaning of life? Love Jesus, love people. That's it. So simple. And it can be done a whole bunch of different ways. Do you know when I just told you the fruits of the Spirit? Told you the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Right after that, it says, against such things there is no law. 
Against such things there is no law. I live a life of freedom, a freedom to choose, a freedom to love how I want to love, freedom to choose joy, and it's not always easy, but I can do it. The last hardest choice of choosing joy I had was when I was locked up on the cruise ship for two days. That was not joyful. But you know what? I found joy in it because I was still on a cruise ship. I thoughtfully cut off the disease, the flu, before it got too bad. It changed the direction of where I was going because I was thinking for a moment there, I was hanging out with like everybody else on the ship, but rather than those that I was with. I would like to think that those are three good things that have happened in that moment of testing positive for the flu and being locked up. But boy, I tell you what, those first couple hours, the rage is <laughs> just, bah. who are you to tell me I got to lock myself up? I don't remember. I understand the whole mask thing. I understand the whole quarantine thing. I understand what we all just went through and the selfishness and the inner rage and everything else that associated with it because I wasn't about anybody else. I was like, I paid all this money to be on this ship. Now I'm in this stupid little room. But praise be to God that, again, it was one a Psalm 4610 moment. I find that when we're sick or when circumstances don't go our way, Psalm 4610 very simply states, Be still and know that I am God. And I'm kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I should be grateful I'm here. You're absolutely right. This is a pretty amazing blessing. I mean, even to be on the ship is an amazing blessing. I, I am really glad that I did go to the doctor because I did have soreness. And now I'm getting medicine. So this is good and that's good. And again, hopefully see the changes, the choices that we have, the reflections that we can make and the differences that we can make. I praise the Lord for all this. And you know, as much as those five things are incredible life changes according to the gospel of change and the will of God to change us, but we all need God's wisdom from His design for life in His world to make quote-unquote good choices, but I want to stress them much more that they're healthy choices, that they're the right thing to do. And as frustrating as it may be to not get what you want all the time, Man, if you've ever seen a spoiled child who gets everything that they want all the time, you can keep them. I would much rather be disciplined. I would much rather learn by hard experiences than to be a spoiled fool that gets everything that they want and doesn't understand the power of no. So, brothers and sisters, the will of God, very simply, it's to change you and to teach you wisdom for living. The next 14 weeks now after this week are going to go into more detail about how God has changed you and how we have a lot of choices to make in light of that amazing change that God has given us. And in this, we can do nothing but praise the Lord. So, dear Heavenly Father, certainly thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness and your love towards us as your people. And so as we get together and we gather, 
certainly use this time well. May communion go well. May our offering be for your glory. And may just our lives be for your glory and our good. May we confidently say, yes, I want to be used by you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, may you confidently use us to bring others to the knowledge of the truth that you give them. And so we thank you and love you for all the blessings that you give us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.